This morning our reading comes from Hebrews chapter 11, which is often called the Faith Hall of Fame, as the writer lists uh, a number of people from the Old Testament who were very faithful in their service to God. We're going to begin reading in verse 29, where he's discussing the people of Israel as they're fleeing from the Egyptian army and trying to get to the promised land. Let's be standing, please, as we hear this, the Word of God. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land. But when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the people had marched around them for seven days. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, who quenched the fury of the flames and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned into strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured and refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging, while still others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned. They were sawed in two. They were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. This world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and holes in the ground. And these were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what they had promised. God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. May God bless the reading of his word. At least for most people in my generation and above, one of the challenges of modern life is keeping up with technology. I uh, resist oftentimes, but occasionally something will come along and I think, I've got to have one of those. That would make my life so much easier. So I get the device and learn how to use it, like my iPhone, and, and I load, download the um, apps that I think I need, and everything's going great, and then all of a sudden I look down at the thing and it says, update. And I think, do I want to do that or not? You know, I had this little app on my phone called RunKeeper that measured out my runs, and it was so great because it gave it a little GPS, and it would tell me how fast I was running. It would break in and even talk to me and tell me where I was and what was going on. And then when I got through, I could look back and see, well, I slowed down here, but I sped up here, and, and it was just fantastic. And then one day I saw Update. So I pushed it, 
and everything changed. I have no idea what is going on with that thing now. So I finally, I just quit using it. So it sent me an email and said, you need to start running again. <laughs> and it's like, oh, wait a minute, this is just a little too invasive. My, my iPhone right now tells me I have 11 updates waiting. I, I don't know that I'm going to do them or not. I can get away with that some. Uh, on my uh, computer in the office, I found a web browser that I liked. It kept telling me I needed to update. I kept ignoring it. Finally, it sent me a message and said, you can no longer use this web browser. <laughs> you must update. So we can get away with it sometimes. We can not update and other things you've got to if you want to keep going. And today I want to talk about something that has to be updated. It, act it, it absolutely must be something that we keep current and always have the latest edition of. And that's our faith. Our faith cannot be programmed to address issues of the past. Our faith has to be current to meet the challenges of the day. Now, this is what the writer of Hebrews was talking about. Because he was writing to a group of Christians whose faith was not sustaining them. The faith was not meeting the challenges that were before them. And so for the first part of the letter, he goes back and reminds them that faith in Jesus is the best thing they can have. It is superior to anything else that this life has to offer. And after he's talked about that for a good amount of time, he begins then to go back and list people of the past who had current faith for their day and how they had the kind of faith that they needed to fight within the arenas to meet the battles that were waged against them in their faith. He begins with Abel and talks about his faith. He works his way all the way up to Moses. And that brings us then to the point that we began reading his letter, or as many people believe, his sermon that he was preaching. And he says, look at these guys. These guys faced a certain challenge that was contemporary with who they were, and their faith was able to meet it. For the Israelites in the wilderness, their challenge, their arena, their venue for their battle was the Red Sea. They were running away from Pharaoh and his armies. They were trying to get out of slavery and into the promised land, and there before them was this big body of water. What are they going to do? Well, as Scripture tells us, by faith, they took a step toward the water. And the water parted, and they walked across on dry land. The next challenge was for the generation later, as they were going into the promised land. And what was the venue that their faith had to meet? Well, they had a big walled city there in front of them, Jericho. And they had to overcome that with an army that was really unseasoned and had inadequate weapons. What were they going to do? God told them to march around it and blow trumpets and scream. Not always your best plan of battle. But they had faith. Their faith was contemporary with their challenge. And therefore they did as they were told. And the walls, as it says, came tumbling down. 
He mentions Rahab, who lived in Jericho. Interesting woman, a prostitute. And yet, whenever the spies had gone in to look over the city, the spies from the Israelites, for some reason Rahab realized that God was with them. Now, talking about having a faith that met a contemporary crisis, she realized that this army was going to defeat her city. And therefore, if she was to be saved and if she was to be found on the right side, she would cooperate with them. Wouldn't it be interesting to really know her whole story? We just have little bits and pieces of it. But we do know this, that she had faith and that her faith was contemporary to the challenge. Somebody updated their ringtone. (laughs) Way to go. I had to go back to the old telephone ring because I would find myself, as it played music, I'd just sing along with the music. (laughs) And I thought, oh, that was my phone. (laughs) Anyway, all right. Then the the writer goes on. He says, you know, there's just too many people to talk about. He says, I I don't have time to tell you about Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel. And we don't have time to talk about where their faith was challenged and what they had to do. But he mentions some about they stood up for justice. They received the promise. They faced destitution. And they even had to face martyrdom. And yet each of these people, as their faith was attacked, they had the kind of faith an updated faith that could meet that challenge. Whatever situation they found themselves in, their faith led them to be stronger and stronger. Now, as I mentioned before, the problem for us is that that world is not our world. And the challenges that they faced, for the most part, are not challenges that we have to face. But as the Hebrew writer points out, We do have this in common with them. Just as they had their battles to fight, we now have our battles to fight. Just as they had an arena in which their faith was challenged, we have an arena in which our faith is challenged. And the question is, will our faith stand up to that challenge? The way the writer draws this picture is he talks about it as a sports stadium in chapter 12. Chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, just marvelous verses. And there he draws this picture of, he says, imagine that all these people that fought their battles and won their battles, they are now sitting in this stadium, and you are now a competitor within the stadium. And he compares it to a race. He says, they're up there cheering for you. If you listen, you can hear them say things like, we did it, you can too. Come on, there is a challenge there. You've got to be strong. You've got to have strong faith. And the writer of Hebrews says, just as they met their challenges, now we must run the race that is set before us. So that brings up the question, what is that race? Where is our faith being challenged? What is it that attacks our faith? Where do we need to go to battle? Where do we need to be strong? Now, that question is not only uh, dependent on the age we live in, it's also dependent on where we live. 
If, for most of you today, you woke up. I guess some of you haven't yet quite, it looks like, but most of you woke up this morning and you decided to come to church. Now, for some of you, that wasn't a hard decision. You always do that, and some of you may have even been looking forward to it. But we're realistic to know that some of you had a little battle go on there, didn't you? Am I going to go today or not? Do I feel like going? Do I want to go? Okay. Well, you won that battle. Congratulations. I'm glad you're here. God's glad you're here. You did the right thing. What about the Christians in Egypt this morning when they woke up? Have you been following the news? The Muslim Brotherhood is burning down churches as we speak. They are attacking and killing Christians on their way to church. Their situation was different from ours. Ours was a situation of convenience. Theirs is a situation of life and death. Well, fortunately, we're not fighting that battle right now. It may come our way. That may one day be our venue as well and our arena to fight in. But what is it? I went around this week as I was thinking about this and asked several people, what do you see as the challenges to our faith? Living here in San Angelo in the 21st century, what is it that chips away or has a full frontal assault on your faith? And they mentioned several things. I I jotted down three that seem to be kind of common denominators among those that I talked to. Number one is busyness. Our lives are so full. You know, our lives are full of work. When I grew up, my mom was home, my dad went to work. It was a nice, neat, orderly thing. I'm not saying that that's the way things have to be, but... For the most part in our world today, that's not the way it is. Almost everybody who can have a job has a job. And and we're busy, and and we get tired, and and we're just drained of our our energy by the time we, we get off work. And what little bit of time we do have left, wow, there are so many things in our society to do. Now, I know you kids sometimes say, I'm bored. (laughs) don't you you can't be bored not in this world because there's so much to do I mean I'm sitting and waiting for my oil to get changed you know what do I do pull out my phone oh angry birds here we go you know there's always something to do there's something to fill our time there's always some diversion and by the end of the day we realize we have crammed as much into that day as possible, but where was God? Did I spend more time on angry birds than I did in prayer? Our faith can't grow that way. Was I more concerned about finding something on the internet I wanted to look at or read, or about reaching out to someone with the good news of Jesus Christ? It's a challenge. And it chips away at us. It sneaks in. And it's not an unorganized challenge either. This isn't just sort of something that happened. It's been orchestrated. I think I've told you this before, but it's my favorite example of this. When I was a little boy, my dad was not a Christian and didn't go to church with my mom very much. 
Later on, he was baptized the day I was baptized and became a very dedicated servant of the Lord in the church. But at the time I was small, he just didn't go much. And so he would stay home on Sunday nights. Uh, and, and my mom and my sister would go because you had to to go to heaven. Remember those days? Y'all better get used to that because we're bringing that back, by the way, okay? <laughs> I do have some, we're going to talk about that next week. Uh, none of y'all are going to be here, are you? <laughs> anyway, we're going to talk about Sunday night programming, programming next week. But anyway, uh, I, would be, the, I didn't want to go. It wasn't that I didn't like church. It was fine. I had a lot of friends there, and it was good. But Dennis the Menace came on during church time. It was my favorite program. And I would beg, Mom, can I stay home with Dad tonight so I can watch Dennis the Menace? And I remember so many times she told me, she said, you know the devil put Dennis the Menace on on Sunday nights during church time. Well, at the time, I thought that was a little ridiculous. I don't know that he put Dennis the Menace on at 6 o'clock on Sunday nights. But I do know he is awfully happy when we spend our time doing so many other things that we never get around to feeding our faith and to enjoying our relationship with God and to reaching out to others in service and in love with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's a battle that we fight to organize our lives in a way that's organized around our faith rather than all the other things. Another issue that kept coming up was social justice. It came up in two ways. Now, social justice simply means being concerned about the people around us, that they're treated fairly and ethically and, and equitably. All right? And, and, and the way it comes up is either to say, well, there's social justice issues, or in our society we don't have a really strong concept of community. We live in a society that really emphasizes individuality. And we're concerned about what I have and what I get and what I want and what impinges upon my rights. And if other people don't have that, well, too bad. They ought to get some, you know. They ought to go out there and get it like I did. This kind of language, whether we verbalize it or not, is kind of where we are. And, and we don't tend to make much connection in real strong community beyond our maybe our, our immediate family. And there's an awful lot of immediate families that aren't making very good bonds anymore either. We don't seem to know how to connect. Now that really works on us in a lot of ways. It works on us because God has called us into a community. And God has called us to be concerned about other people. Oh, sometimes we may just write a check real fast and say, here, you know, at least I helped there. We may give an hour or two to go out and do something for someone sometime. But are we committed to trying to change our world around us to the point that it is more fair to everyone? And the fact that we don't really bond with them also makes it difficult for us to bond with God. We haven't learned that lesson of what it means to have an intimate relationship with another person. So how can we have it with God as well? You know, this is something that fights on us. It eats away at us. And one more that I wanted to mention is an old nemesis that's come back. It never went away, but it is becoming so apparent in our world today. It is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Y'all ever heard of that? Yeah, you have. You've read about it, haven't you? I've got one in my backyard if you want to see one. I bet you have one in your backyard too. 
or your front yard. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil is the tree of deciding what we think is good and we think is evil. That's the the temptation that Adam and Eve fell to, you know, that that God had said, here's what's good, here's what's wrong, and they said, well, we're going to make up our own mind what's good and what's not. Our society is in the midst of turning everything upside down when it comes to morality, what's right, what's wrong, what's a good lifestyle to live, what is healthy, what is unhealthy. It's going on all around us. And it's because we're eating of that tree that says, I can make these decisions without listening to what God has said. What God has said through the centuries, what God has said in his holy word, when God says, run away from this, well, if it looks good to me, I can make it work. When God says, this will kill you, and we say, well, I think it will make my life more full and more rich. And we have to make the decision. Are we going to grow that tree or not? And another thing that makes it really difficult is, is if we decide no, that we're going to listen to the morality and the ethics that God has taught throughout the centuries and all in his word. We're going to listen to that. We're going to uphold that. I'm going to try to live by it. Then how do we reach out to a society that looks at that as strange and weird? How do we reach out to them in a way that doesn't just say, I'm better than you? I don't want to have anything to do with you. How can we maintain a healthy respect for God as our moral leader and our moral compass and at the same time extend a hand to those who are sinking and who are struggling? How can we make it make sense? How can we show that it's the way of grace and love? It's hard. It's a battle. But this... It's part of our arena that we are now called upon. This is the race that we are running. I doubt that God is going to tell you to go march around a wall city and scream till the walls fall down. But he's telling us, don't get caught up in this world. Don't get caught up in all the change that's going on that moves away from me. The writer closes out, or closes out this section, by giving us some timeless advice on how to do this. As he's talking about this arena that's around us, and he says that now we have our race ready to run, he says, here's a couple of things you need to do. You need to know your enemy. You need to know what it is that's keeping you from jumping into the arena and fighting. He says, throw off the weight that's dragging you down and set aside the sin that hangs on to you. Now, I believe he, I can't tell you what that is, but if you spend enough time thinking about it and praying to God about it, he will let you know what it is that is keeping you tied to this world and keeping you from being wholeheartedly dedicated to him and to the battle that he has set before us. So we've got to know what it is that's dragging us down, and we've got to be determined that we're going to set that aside and move on. And then he says, and look up and keep your eyes focused on Jesus, because he's the one who started your faith, and he's the one who will complete your faith, and he is running ahead of you. And if we will keep our eyes focused on him, play one game of Angry Birds instead of ten, 
turn off the TV and bow your head. So many ways to refocus and to see where he is and what he's doing. Look around the arena. There's Abel, there's Abraham, there's Moses, there's David. There's all these great people who fought their battles and they're saying, you can do it too. But you know, there's billions of faces that aren't in that arena because they caved in or because they just didn't know that it was their time to run and their time to fight. May we see our battles. and May we fight them faithfully. Let's stand and sing.